This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Equity Life. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted. I'm just reading about the All-Australian AFL team. Mate, head in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Congratulations to Callum Mills and Isaac Heaney. Sure. Uh, unfortunate that no Bombers players got in. Very unfortunate, uh, not surprising, given the absolute shambles of a club that it currently <laughs> is. But abs- let's move on, Ren. We've got a jam-packed episode today. Uh, shout out to the CVE boys for their 100 episodes. Yeah, raise the bat. Yes. They've hit the century. They've hit the century. Comedian v. Economist hit the 100th on uh, last Wednesday. So make sure you go and check them out. Uh, Adam and Thomas do an awesome job of breaking down the world of macroeconomics. Super interesting. Yeah. Super entertaining. Thomas, a former RBA economist, Adam, a stand-up comedian. It is a match made in heaven. Match made in heaven. <laughs> and um, yeah, congratulations, boys, on 100 episodes. It is a epic milestone. And if you haven't listened to their podcast, this is your sign to go give it a try. That's it. Uh, so the two big segments today, earnings season and a news wrap, as we are still in the depths of it, particularly here in Australia now. And then we're going to do an industry deep dive on potentially the second most unethical industry deep dive we've done, given last week we did private prisons. Yeah. We're continuing I, on that theme. I feel that putting sports betting and private prisons in the same ballpark is tough, um, but we'll get to it. But last week we spoke about Disney maybe getting into the uh, sports betting game. So we said we'd come back and do an industry deep dive on it. Um, so I'm excited for this one. We've got a heap of interesting stuff. Ren earnings season is uh, definitely kicking. Let's talk about some of the companies that caught our eye. Um, I think one that st- stands out for me, WiseTech, hmm. uh, a company that a lot of people may not be familiar with, but it it's fast becoming a sort of, it's separating itself from some of these other other Australian tech names, revenue up 25% to $632 million, profit up 80% to $195 million. Um, but I think pleasingly for WiseTech shareholders, it's signed 10 new global customers to its flagship CargoWise software platform uh, in, in the last financial year, including UPS, FedEx and Access World. So mm. some big customers signing up to their software platform. And fingers crossed we can get, is it Richard, the CEO, founder, Richard White on the show at some point, fingers crossed. Ren, Domino's Pizza uh, up 4%, $2.3 billion uh, in revenue, Um, profit down 14% though to 166 million and dividend also down, no surprises there given the cost pressures that they were under. They announced it has stepped up an expansion in Asia though with the acquisition of 287 stores in Malaysia, Singapore and Cambodia with a push to eventually reach 600 stores across those countries. Now, I remember we interviewed Don May, the CEO at the time. Make sure you go and listen to that episode if you haven't. And he was very particular on the way that they enter international markets. So great to see. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, they are now seeing early signs that the price pressures they were under for key ingredients like wheat and cheese are now starting to flatten. Um, we did do a, a segment on the inflation hedge that was the $5 pizza. It's now uh, $8. It's now $8. <laughs> yes. I wonder if they'll ever go back to the five. I mean, in all seriousness, that's like a 60% increase yes. in price. Yeah. Can they chill out? Inflation's not at 60%. <laughs> The crazy thing, so there's a Domino's, the, the parent companies listed in the US, um, and then there's the franchise in Australia that runs a bunch of different countries. There's also a franchise listed in the UK that runs a bunch of different countries. There's actually a couple. There's another one that runs Russia and um, listed in the UK. They're, they have all just been incredible stock market performers. Mm. It's crazy how pizza listed in three different markets around the world obviously all you know the same company in some mm. ways but uh, just incredible share price performance absolute market darling i remember when we were at uni and it was absolutely on a tear yeah yeah pizza's the new growth stock but speaking about <laughs> uh surprising surprising categories where we're seeing growth Breville Group, homewares and appliances. Appliances, yeah. yeah. Uh, revenue up 19% to $1.4 billion. Profit up 16% to $105 million. Dividend up 11% to $0.15. Cents. Breville, for the last few years, I feel like they've sort of been ticking along in the background in some ways. Well, I was just going to say I feel like they've been... Um this is uh, another reporting season of excellent numbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. so that that's where I was getting to. They're, right. they're never like the front page of the paper. Yeah. They're never the first company that we speak about on the podcast. Yeah. But they just are grinding out really impressive numbers mm. and uh, they've got this international expansion strategy, which, mm. I mean, you know, there's a big world out there and they're growing. Different parts of the world are growing at different pace, uh, paces. So uh, the Americas accelerated in the second half of the year for them uh, and that offset a slowdown in Europe. So, you know, like it's not all been smooth sailing, but it's a pretty impressive story they're building. Yeah, I love it. We unpacked Breville, I reckon, two or three years ago with Julia Lee yeah. and had a look at when they first announced their five-year expansion plan into Europe and um, and and the Americas. And Did you uh, buy it then? That's the question. I wish I had. Uh, no, neither did I. <laughs> I wish I had. Anyway, anyway, that's not to say that it's um, we can't now, but, yeah, you're right, Ren, it's one that – we always seem to be talking about it. Yeah. Uh, one other company that caught our eye this week, uh, Ampol, formerly Caltex Australia, reported. Now, they are in the refining business, mm. taking crude oil and turning it into petrol um, or gas for our American listeners. Revenue up 83% to $17.3 billion, Profit up 114% to $695 million, Dividend up 131% to $1.20. It's a good time to be in the oil refining business. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. So, Ren, um, to close out, let's take a look at retail as always. Coles, your baby. Revenue was up only 2% to $39.7 billion. Profit up 4% to just over a billion. And dividend also up 7% to $0.30. Cents. Interestingly, though, the March quarter price inflation for Coles was sitting at 3.3% compared to Woolworths 27 yeah, so prices are going up at both of the major supermarkets. Slower than inflation, mm. we should say. Uh, Coles a little bit quicker than Woolies. Well, Pri prices are not down, down at Coles, that's for sure. Still uh, <laughs> down, down, inflation adjusted, down. <laughs> Fair call. Real prices are down. 
<laughs> All right, you're the retail whisperer. You've got two more retailers here. Tell us what Endeavor we're Group, the uh, retail, the alcohol spin-off from Woolworths revenue was flat at 11.6 billion, but profit up 11% to just shy of half a billion dollars. Dividend also up 10%. Um, they had a massive boom in the December half when liquor retailing went uh, crazy due to people stuck at home during COVID. Uh, people turning to delivery of Dan Murphy's and BWS. However. They're diversified. They have 344 hotels and now that has taken over as the main driver of growth Mm. in the June half as people come back to uh, real life, leave their homes and start drinking in pubs again. It's such a funny year to think that, you know, they um, the the financial year was like... they had this massive online boom and then and hotels were down and then hotels were back on and online slowed down. But at the end of the day, revenue flat. was just flat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I diversified. That's what happens. <laughs> Kogan, Ren, um, it's been on a weird run price-wise over the last sort of couple of months. It jumped from a low around mid-July, uh, jumped 67% uh, at the start of um, or late July and has now fallen 22%. Um, it uh, revenue down 8%, a loss of $35 million down from a profit of $3 million last year and they're not paying any dividend. It's a story of inventory for Kogan. They benefited from having a lot of uh, inventory onshore during COVID and didn't get disrupted as much by the impacts of supply chain. Uh, and now they're feeling that they have too much. Yeah, so that's, I guess, a bit of a wrap of reporting season. A few of the companies that caught our eye over the last week, we've still the end of this week and next week to go. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Yeah. And then there's maybe a little tail after that, but it sort of slows down. So we'll be back next week with a few more companies that catch our eye. Then I guess it's what are some of the storylines from it all? Bigger storyline is just like, God, it's good to be in the oil business right now. I know, now. I know. <laughs> ethical or unethical, it's profitable. Yes. Um, but I think one other news story that caught my eye this week, have you been following the Elon stuff? Uh, loosely. So uh, his lawyers have subpoenaed Jack Dorsey, the Twitter co-founder and former CEO. They've also subpoenaed um, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. And then Twitter's lawyers, on the other hand, have subpoenaed Mark Andreessen, uh, David Sachs, another big investor, and Peter Thiel's Founders Fund. So there are some pretty big names that are going to be testifying in this trial. And then the ex-Twitter head of security, Twitter's former head of security, has turned whistleblower and gone to the regulators, the Securities and Exchange Commission, claiming that Twitter has security problems and that they misled the board about the amount of fake accounts and bots, which plays directly into Elon's hand. Good time to be a lawyer. (laughs) Good time to be a lawyer. Yeah, the FT had a big article about the Twitter's lawyer um, and apparently this guy is like a superstar. A yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and he's, he's gunning for Elon. Nice. Um, but my, I mean, my conspiracy theory, which probably isn't that conspiratorial at all, is that the timing, the whistleblower's timing isn't a coincidence. Mm. The fact okay. that he's gone right when the subpoenas are flying and the lawyers are really getting themselves into a lather and then he just happens to go to the SEC. True. And makes a claim that falls directly into Elon's hands. True. Yeah. Watch I'm not saying there's, any, I'm not saying there's anything untoward. And I'm not even saying that he's it's yeah, wrong. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that like, you know, he left Timing. Twitter he left Twitter over half a year ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now's the time that he turns whistleblower. Yeah. So anyway, that's my conspiracy. It's all alleged. <laughs> I know nothing. New segment. But we um we wait. The trial's set for 17th of October. So couple more months of my conspiracies and then it'll all come out. Going to be watching it on YouTube, that's for sure. If it's on YouTube. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. They, You know, the American, they put all their big cases on. Well, a lot yeah. of them are more, are more public anyway. Anyway. Yeah, a lot of footage. You don't, the, yeah. the, the art of the courtroom sketch is being lost yeah. over there, well, isn't it? Well, um, the uh, Johnny Depp versus. Um, yeah, that was ridiculous. Oh, what's her yeah. name? Amber Heard. That, that pro- was streamed li- that was your live. Your productivity <laughs> fell to an all-time low. <laughs> Uh, equity mates there was one morning so Bryce and I don't live too far away from each other and there was one morning when I see him walking to work and I walk up like and have him like trying to get his attention and he's just staring at his phone as he's walking into work. He's watching the highlights. He's watching the highlights (laughs) of the trial. (laughs) Anyway, I should have been researching for stock discussion, but I was watching. Nah, that's all right. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, Ren, let's keep moving. Um, Look, Equity Mates, we're not all about uh, investing here. We do uh, do some projects on behalf of other organisations and we'll be, we were lucky enough to work with Monash University on a mini-series called What I Wish I Knew About Studying Business. Uh, and it was a real sort of moment where Ren and I went and reminisced on our days at university and spoke to some current and former Monash University students about the transition from high school to university. Mm. So if um, you are at that stage in your life or you know someone who is looking uh, at business, uh, entrepreneurship uh, and finding a, a degree or whatnot, this was just a, a really enjoyable project for us and we just wanted to share it with you. It's a podcast, I think five or six episodes. You'll find it in your podcast player. As I said, it's called What I Wish I Knew About Studying Business. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, it made us very nostalgic for our uni days. Um, but if you know someone or if you are that person who's, transitioning to uni regardless if you're going to Monash or if you're studying business I think there were some good lessons for that making that transition you go from that structure of school to the freedom and independence of university it's it's a great moment but um I wish I had this podcast to listen to when I made that transition. <laughs> so, Ren, that project was the uh, the latest uh, production by Equity Mates Amplify, uh, a production arm here at Equity Mates Media. If you're looking to do podcasts, um, we're always open and uh, willing to create the next amazing podcast series. Yeah. So, hit us up. But, uh, Ren, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And then on the other side, we're going to take a deep dive into the sports betting industry. So, Ren, last week we spoke about Disney and uh, its potential foray, or it's not potential, but its announcement uh, that they're going to be uh, looking at sports betting via ESPN, Mm. which has led us to this moment of a deep dive on the sports betting industry because uh, there are some big uh, tailwinds certainly yeah, taking place. Yeah, and I feel like it's one of those industries that's been pretty widely spoken about in the Equity Mates community for the last... well, maybe four years since it was legalised in the US. Um, I don't think we've done an industry deep dive on it before, but it's certainly an industry that I've looked at in my personal capacity. You engage with it every day. (laughs) (laughs) I dabble. Dabble? (laughs) (laughs) All very responsibly. Friends, I'm sure this is the same. It's saying with Darcy in the office, Alf in the office. Oh, you're what? You're gonna just not put yourself in this bucket? I don't bet. Oh, I don't. I don't. don't. When's the last time I bet? Uh, On that golf uh, game that we all did. Which golf? On the um, Masters that I won. 
I didn't. Okay, that's different. And uh, no, when that, we that wasn't through a sports. When we company. had that sports bet bet with mates, wasn't through. Nah. Yeah, nah. I'll pull. I've got the receipts. <laughs> anyway, I don't bet. I don't bet. And um, you don't Ren bet does. well. Ren does. <laughs> no, anyway, but let's look, keep going. I think. I think we should say from the outset here that. Um, there is a clear conversation about ethical or unethical. There are obvious harms from this industry. Um, based on that last interaction, it's clear that we bet. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I think, you know, for some people, this is screened out of their, their investable world and that's completely fine. Uh, I do want to say right from the outset that I think I'm okay with sports betting, but I'm not okay with sports betting ads. Can they just kill that shit? What, yeah. What about <laughs> casinos? Are you okay with casinos? Yeah. Yeah. I think people, as long as there's, as long as, as long as people are making a choice to go and do it freely and, you know, that there's, if they are addicted and they're not free to make that choice, that there's proper support available. Uh, but I think that the enticement of it, the advertising of it, I think changes that for me. Mm. So kill gambling ads and give us our sport back is what I would say. (laughs) Right. Well, well, um, let's just quickly unpack the Disney piece before we take a look at some of the context around the industry. We we spoke about last week, Disney have announced they're looking at sports betting via ESPN, including having a sports book at Disney World. Yeah, yeah. Take your kids to the happiest (laughs) place on earth. Unbelievable. (laughs) Which is pretty interesting given that Disney is often seen as like the barometer of what the average American mm, is mm. is thinking is acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Disney not a company that's going to push the boundaries. They're going to wait for social uh, views to change yeah. and then they'll move with it. So it did really catch our attention when uh, Bob Chapek, the CEO, said Disney must, quote, seriously consider getting into gambling in a bigger way and ESPN is the perfect platform for this. Now, ESPN have been dabbling. They've uh, made a deal with Caesars Entertainment and with DraftKings uh, Draft to link to their sports books from ESPN.com. That's like an advertising deal. That's like when you open the AFL app and Sportsbet have the, the yeah. odds under the games. That's not actually That's running. Bad. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah. yeah. Kill gambling ads yeah. and just let the industry exist. Yeah, too but- much money. Anyway. Anyway, too much money. Yeah. yeah. Same as crypto. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but now ESPN are thinking about getting building their own sports book, not just being an advertising platform for others, which is interesting, I think. And I think it shows that... Which in a nutshell means that they are going to be creating their own markets. They'll be the bookie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's early days, but that's what they're talking about. Yeah. So uh, we thought this was a good opportunity to go a little bit deeper on the industry and... We're talking about really talking about America here because the law only changed four years ago. But before we zoom in on America, let's zoom out and talk about the global sports betting industry. It's pretty big. Sports betting and lottery, Ren, make up um, a market cap, well, not a market cap, but have a value of about 195 billion US dollars. And that's up 13% since 2020. There are about 25,240 businesses in the sports betting market And we're going to cover them all. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to cover all of them. Now, the highest valued sports betting company is, do you want to guess? Bet365. Bet365 as Samuel L. Jackson in the ads. Mm. uh, Which I think correlates to advertising because I see them advertise everywhere. Yeah, well, his line is like, Anyway, anyway, we yeah. don't need to unpack betting no. ads. That can be a whole other <laughs> thing type. 
the CEO of Bet365. Now, Bet365 isn't a public company, so that's why I'm putting it here rather than when we talk about the companies. But I just had to get this stat in. Denise Coates, the CEO, her salary in 2020, 421 million pounds, aka 851 million Aussie dollars. She almost got paid a billion dollars. A billion Aussie, yeah, yeah. That is crazy. That's, that's the size of this. That's the, you, you, Anyway, you can understand why a lot of people want to get into sports betting if that's the type of stuff that they can be paying out. But let's, let's continue uh, setting the scene here, Ren, because as you said, it is really all about America here because there's been some pretty significant change that has led to the last four or five years of incredible growth and that's been early 2018 – Sports betting was illegal mm-hmm. in the States and then the Supreme Court changed all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for about 100 years, sports betting was illegal and then uh, the Supreme New Jersey sued the federal government. Supreme Court ruled with New Jersey, overturned the ban on sports betting. So then every state was able to then make their own laws. Today, 2022, we have a bit of a mishmash of different laws in different states. 30 states and Washington, D.C. have legalised sports betting. Four other states have legalised it but not launched legal sports books. But the way that they've legalised it is all a little bit different and it's all like every state has their own licensing regime, which becomes really interesting when you talk about the companies that are winning market share and how they go about that. In some states, there's a state lottery and they're the only, they have a monopoly on mm. the sports book and mm. then there are others where it's like a free-for-all. Some only allow in-person, like you've got to go to the a physical location to lay a bet, others you can do it on your phone and stuff like that. So it, it's a bit of a mishmash, but I think the tra- the trajectory is clear. In the last four years, the two-thirds of states have legalised and a massive industry has been created. Well, yeah, the trajectory is incredible. Americans are going gangbusters on it. Yeah. They've spent $125 billion on sports betting in the last four years since legalisation, which has absolutely blown estimations out of the water. To put that $125 billion in context, that's more... Now, $125 billion over four years, but $125 billion is more than Americans spent on pet food, supplies and vet care last year. Jeez. $125 $125 billion is more than the net income or the profit for America's farmers last year. Wow. So $125 billion is a lot of money in case you were wondering. That is crazy. <laughs> um, record month, October 2021, Americans put down $7.5 billion on bets, in bets, uh, 87% of it online. The opening weekend of the 2021 NFL season, 58.2 million online bets were placed, up 126% from the year before. And Bryce, exciting news, the NFL season is almost upon us once again. So it'll be interesting to see what that number is this year. The, The point is it's already become a massive market and the expectation is it's going to get bigger. So DataBridge Market Research thinks that the market is going to grow at 10.3% 10.3% a year uh, between now and 2029. And I'm imagining that North America is just going to make up a larger and larger proportion of total world uh, global betting as well. Yeah, I, d- I doubt it will ever beat China. Huge. So just to recap where we're at, pretty interesting. Well, uh, some major 
uh, legal changes over in the States have led to uh, a, a now a massive uptick in gambling, huge amounts of money pouring in. We know there's a massive amount of money spent on ads as well. So if you're thinking about it from an investing perspective, who's the beneficiaries of that? Felicia Grondon, who's the executive director of the Council of Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, cited a report in Barron's that said $292 million was spent on sports betting ads in the US in 2020. And a year later, that grew to $725 million. Mm. So almost three times the amount of advertising uh, in the space of, what, a a year? A year, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So I think, um, yeah, it's cooked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a bit of a tangent, but an AFL podcast I was listening to, they were having a bit of a dispute and they were criticising one of the panellists for appearing in a gambling ad Little did yeah. they know that the pre and post roll ad on that po- very podcast was gambling. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so anyway. Anyway, America's biggest ever online bet was made in February 2022. Well, biggest ever legal online bet, I guess, was made in February 2022. 4.53 million dollars on the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Holy smokes. The question is, did they win? <laughs> the Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. But you've got to be some kind of wealthy to be putting 4.5 or some kind of crazy. Or some kind of stupid. Yeah. All, it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah. Gamble responsibly. Anyway, Ren, so yeah, yeah, gamble responsibly. We are here to chat about the investing aspect of all of this and the companies that are involved in the space. Some are listed, some aren't, but there's plenty coming to the surface. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the unlisted ones. Yeah. So um, there has certainly been evolution in this space. Yeah. So I think when you're conceptualizing how this industry evolved, the Supreme Court changed the law or overturned the law in 2018. The first movers in this space were the daily fantasy players. Uh, mm. FanDuel and DraftKings, if you've heard of them, yeah. they were allowed to exist. There, there's this distinction between game of chance and game of skill and fantasy was seen as a game of skill. So these guys actually existed before the law was overturned. So they were good to go. They were on the blocks running Ready with the starter's it. pistol. <laughs> nice. Anyway, <laughs> so they, they launched, they were first movers. They launched sports books to accompany their fantasy offering. Uh, we'll get to like who owns them and all of that later. But so that they moved. Then the casinos that existed made their own sports book. MGM, Caesars, all of the American casinos, they were pretty quick off the mark as well. They had obviously been taking bets at their casinos in Vegas. And so they were pretty quick to move as well. State lotteries, so they also existed and then they quickly moved into sports books as well. So Massachusetts as a state might have a government-owned lottery or a government-regulated lottery. They moved into sports betting as well. Then after those three, so then the foreign bookmakers made a big push into America as well. Um, And if you're looking at foreign bookies, you've really got to go to Europe and in particular the UK and we will go there because that's where a lot of the big names are. And then finally, the final player in this ever more increasingly competitive landscape is media. And both old school media like Fox have made their own sports book or partnered to make their own sports book and then new media like Barstool, your mm. favourite company, <laughs> and Dave Portnoy, your hero. My idol. <laughs> not true, not true. Don't, don't hate me. And so I think the, the long and the short of it is competition is hot in this space because so many different players from 
other parts of the gambling ecosystem to other parts of the sports and media ecosystem to other countries all quickly converged on America and are trying to seize this opportunity. Even Disney. Even Disney. So <laughs> so let's talk about some of the players and then we've got some data on who's actually winning market share, which I was pretty surprised by. Well, let's kick off, as you said, Ren, it all starts in Europe and, uh, and particularly the UK and uh, one of the big ones listed on the London Stock Exchange with the ticker ENT is Untain. I think it's just Entain. Entain, <laughs> <laughs> E-N-T-A-I-N. It owns brands uh, such as Buen... God, never B- heard of it. I think it's B-Win. <laughs> I actually don't know. Buin. <laughs> Coral. Ladbrokes, heard of laddies. Um, party poker and sporting bet. Not sports bet because that's owned by the next company here, Flutter Entertainment. They're big. They're part of the FTSE 100. Mm. I also listed in Lo- – well, they're listed in London. Their share price, £11,000 a share. Wow. Yeah. Ever heard of a stock split? <laughs> And then they're listed uh, in Dublin, Flutter owns Sportsbet, FanDuel, Skybetting, William Hill, Paddy Power, Foxbet, and importantly for this story, the daily fantasy site, FanDuel. Yeah. So they own a lot. They own a lot. Flutter Entertainment. All right, Ren, well, let's keep moving. International Game Technology, listed on the New York Stock Exchange, IGT, have a $4 billion market cap and revenue of about $4 billion. Um, it's not bad. Yeah. They, so they're also European. They're also, I'm pretty sure, from the UK, but they're listed in New York. Um, they make a lot of the technology behind these sports bets, so uh, sports books. So their platforms have processed more than $6 billion in sports wages to date. They plug in with, like, the casinos, the state lotteries who want to offer a sports book. They're like a turnkey plug-and-play. So this is a picks and shovels vibe. Yeah, like if Equity Mates wanted to make Equity Mates bet... Equity Hold bets. on. <laughs> Equity bets. <laughs> um, then you'd go to these guys and say, we want to white label your stuff. Yeah, right. There's also Triple Eight Group uh, listed on the London Stock Exchange, recently acquired William Hill, and then uh, the French Lottery, which is listed over in France with the ticker FDJ. Um, they also have a sports book as well as their lottery business. Did William Hill buy – who was that turkey? Are you thinking Tom, Tom Waterhouse? Waterhouse? Yeah. Someone bought Tom Waterhouse. I think it was William Hill. Anyway, someone can fact check me on that. But, Soren, let's uh, move to Australia. There's two that uh, we'll talk about today. The first is PointsBet, PBH, often gets spoken about in the Equity Mates community. Market cap of just over a billion, revenue of about $260 million. And then BetMakers. BetMakers is a bit of a picks and shovels play, like um, international game technology. They're pretty small, though. But then PointsBet are a bookmaker who are trying to push into the US. They moved pretty early in the US. Mm. They just, they uh, maybe a year ago or so, they signed that big deal with NBC. Mm. So, yeah, they're right in the thick of it with some of these European players trying to get a foothold in America. So that's the established companies over in Europe and the UK, uh, a, a few, a couple of established players here in the States. But, Ren, we're really starting to see some of the homegrown American companies absolutely take off yes so uh let's start with Penn national gaming um in the front of mind for a lot of people because they bought barstool yep and they also operate 44 casinos and racetracks around the united states and canada um so they're they're trying to get into it 
DraftKings. So we spoke about the two big fantasy players, FanDuel and DraftKings. FanDuel owned by Flutter, yep. the Irish company. And then DraftKings merged with a SPAC and went public in their own right. So they're listed. DKNG is the ticker. Bally's Corp. Haven't heard of them. No. Well, now I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 14 casinos across 10 states in the US, a, track in, a horse track in Colorado, have sports betting licenses in 14 states. Churchill Downs, most people have probably heard about the racetrack, but they're listed yeah. um, and they have a bunch of different casinos and online betting companies. Then there's a few casinos, Bryce. The and big ones. We're planning your bucks. Uh, we're going to be heading off on a plane well, to Vegas. True, so we might be visiting true, one of these places. True. Bucks is actually this weekend, Ren. Yeah. And you, Tomorrow, don't, know where, you don't know where we're going. I have no idea. But we've told you to get your passport ready. Well, no one's officially told me that. Uh, wait, has Rowie not told you that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, but you do have a passport. If right? we don't get, um, <laughs> if we don't get content up next week, you're going to know why. Because I don't know, we're, we'll be having a buck somewhere. But yeah. anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> Caesars Entertainment uh, ticker CZR. They've got a ten billion dollar market cap, and obviously famous for the well-known Caesars Palace mm. in Vegas, yeah. which I think we're staying at night one. <laughs> MGM <laughs> Resorts International as well. Now as a subsidiary, Bet MGM. Um, they're traditionally in the hospitality and entertainment space, but uh, given what's going on in betting, they're moving further into sports. And then uh, Boyd Gaming Corp to close it out, Ren. Yeah, another big casino player in Vegas that's pushing into the sports betting market. So I think if we just take a breath here, we can say <laughs> there's a lot of companies trying to compete for the dollars of American gamblers mm. across all four corners of the world. And then there are some strange companies trying to get into it. And Disney is one of them that we've spoken about. So then, Bryce, I guess the question is, who's actually winning? Yeah, plenty of players in this space. Mm. You know, we've heard from many investors that sometimes you just stick with the the ones that are leading the charge. And there's two two big ones that have over half of the market share from a mobile point of view, at least uh, over in the States. Yeah, over in the States. So I think the important stat here, because the market share we have is mobile, mm. but you pair that with this other stat that we found that 80% of sports bets in the US are placed via a mobile phone. There you go. So, so this is the majority indicative. of the market. There are only two that are above 10%. Of market share. DraftKings at 32% and FanDuel at 30%. So they have 62% of total market share between the two of them, which I found surprising. Yeah, same. Mm. Um, I would have thought some of the uh, some of the other well-known would have had more of an equal share, I guess. I guess there's an argument to say, and this is me not being in America and not playing daily fantasy sports, is... They or a lot of people would have already had accounts with yeah, them, yeah. And it's just so it, like once you're there, once you've got the account, you, it's so much easier to just move from daily fantasy to betting yeah. rather than signing up with one of these casinos or something yeah. like that. Pretty impressive how much market share they've been able to take. I guess that's why they call it a first mover advantage. Yeah, <laughs> nice one. <laughs> but the only other so. Um, the only other one that is above... Oh, sorry. Th there's one that's at 10% market share, Foxbet, which is also owned by Flutter. 
Nice. Yeah. So there was another poll. So that that's market share. Um, DraftKings listed separately, number one. FanDuel and Foxbet, number two and three, both owned by Flutter. Yeah. And then a long tail after that. There was another- So Flutter's massive. Well, they've got an 11,000 pound share price. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. But but the thing is, I don't I don't actually know if they're the biggest globally. I, I no, I'm actually confident they're not the biggest globally. From what point of view, market cap? Yeah. Total revenue, I don't think they're the big I think Bet365 is. That's why they call themselves the world's biggest online sports bet. Nah. Nah. You you're claiming false <laughs> I'm, advertising. I'm bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as well as that market share that we just spoke about, we found a morning consult poll from early 2022 that looked at brand recall of some of these biggest brands, uh, biggest sports bet brands. DraftKings, 78% of respondents knew the brand. FanDuel, 73%. Caesars, 65%. Foxbet, 56%. And then BetMGM, 56% as well. So they were the top five. So I think the two key takeaways for me there are the daily fantasy players are number one and number two there as well. And then... Uh, that Flutter owns the second biggest and the fourth biggest. Mm. So, Ren, I do want to have a chat about what's next, but if you're thinking about this industry, pretty new, particularly over in the States, any key risks, challenges that we should be aware of? The really important thing to make a point here is this industry is four years old, less than four years old in America. Uh, It is incredibly crowded and like FanDuel and DraftKings might have an early lead, but the industry is so unsettled at the moment and there's so much changing that the idea that this trend is just going to continue in a straight line is not a good investment thesis. Mm. Not only is the market dynamics shifting and the companies shifting, but the legal framework in which they can operate is also shifting and changing and more companies are legalizing, they're legalizing in different ways and the laws are going to keep changing. And so if you're thinking about investing in this industry, the thesis cannot just be, Who's got an early lead now? Mm. I can only see legislation getting looser and looser as more tax money runs in. But that's the point. Like all of a sudden, if all of these states that weren't really open to some of these like casino operators Mm. because they didn't have physical presence in the state or something like that, I'm just making things up. But, you know, then all of a sudden Caesars, do they take a big chunk of market share that Mm, mm. they couldn't take previously because of legislation. So I Mm. agree. It feels like it's only going to go in one direction, the tax dollars and Mm. just the social acceptance of it all. The other thing is, do you know why sports betting was banned back in the day though? Yeah, no. So the Chicago Black Sox was a scandal where the Chicago White Sox threw the World Series. No way. Yeah. There you go. The World Series being like the final of the MLB. Yeah. Um, they threw it. Wow. And everyone was outraged, obviously. That's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. like there was a lot of um, match fixing, I guess, in American sports in like the early 1900s. And so then Congress banned sports betting. I'm not saying there's going to be sports match fixing again, but if it did make a comeback, you can bet <laughs> that um, it would get banned again. Yeah, you would think so. So maybe that's a big risk to your investment thesis well, as well. True. Well, Ren, speaking of sports... <laughs> um, To close out, uh, partnerships with sports leagues is another big component that we can't overlook. Uh, The NBA now has 20 sports betting partnerships and Scott Kaufman-Ross, the NBA's senior VP for head of fantasy and gaming, has quoted that our goal is to partner with every sports book in the United States. (laughs) Unbelievable. And uh, speaking of MLB, Major League Baseball as well, Ren, they have made MGM their official gaming partner at a league level. Uh, Then each of the respective 
respective uh, teams within the MLB have their own partnerships. And a, a, an example of that is the Chicago Club's contract with DraftKings uh, it was reportedly worth 100 million big ones. Yeah, and for our uh, listeners in Chicago, apologies. Cubs. The Cubs. <laughs> Cubs. <laughs> Cubs. But yeah, 100 million alone for one team. So that yeah. gives you a sense of just how big these deals are and I guess how much the sports books expect to recoup. Yeah. Yeah. If they're willing to pay that much. Well, if you're paying your CEO $850 million, you're expecting a fair chunk coming yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, probably not surprising that alongside the individual companies that you can invest in, there's been a bunch of ETFs and thematic ETFs in particular that have launched to, I guess, give people exposure to this trend. Van Eck have won the gaming ETF. The ticker is BJK. Um, Roundhill have a sports betting and iGaming ETF. The ticker is BETS, B-E-T-Z. I'm sure there are more out there. Two key call-outs um, if you're thinking about trying to invest in a thematic ETF to get exposure to the industry as a whole rather than any individual companies. Actually, three key call-outs. One we've already made. First of all, the legislation continues to change, so just be careful. Second one is remember that some of the biggest players are unlisted. So, like, if you think you're getting exposure to the industry, the nuance is you're only getting exposure to the listed players in the industry. Yeah. So, if Bet365 continues growing and dominating, then that's not going to get captured in any of these listed ETFs because they're unlisted. And then third uh, call out, the top holdings in these ETFs are pretty different. Yeah. So it's not like a tech ETF where the big five tech players are the top of all the tech ETFs. Mm. So looking at Van X gaming ETF, the biggest holding is Vici. Do you know the story behind them? No. So they're the real estate investment trust that owns Caesars Casino, I'm pretty sure. And it was like this massive brawl when they split off and were split into a separate real estate investment trust. Anyway, separate story for another day. Really interesting. Actually, you know what? I'll find an article and put it in the show notes. It's that interesting. That Avicii Properties isn't one of the top three holdings in Round Hills. So it's just a call out that it's like there are different top holdings. So look under the hood, do your research. Yeah. (laughs) Nice, Ren. Well, no doubt that it's an industry, what was it, 10% Kager over the next few years or whatever it is, uh, North America is obviously going to continue growing at rapid pace. It's beating expectations in terms of the money that's coming in. We're seeing companies that we would never have thought would be involved in sports betting now interested giving the amount of money that is coming into this space. Plenty of ways to invest in it. There's the bricks and uh, the picks and shovels, those that uh, help the, the bookmakers, the technology behind it. There's the bookmakers themselves. There's media, there's sports teams, and there's the likes of Disney as well. So massive industry, a one that obviously is only going to continue to grow. Um, and as we said at the top, it's not an industry for everyone. It will certainly fall out of some people's screens depending on where you sit on the ESG fence with this sort of stuff. But um, an interesting industry that is evolving nonetheless right in front of us, um, being driven by some pretty uh, fascinating legal changes over in the States. So Bryce, final question, ethical or unethical? Unethical. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ren, well, great to chat. We'll, uh, we'll pick it up next week when we're back from the Bucks. Maybe we'll have a story or two that will be appropriate to share. I'm well, we're sure. going to have to change plans. If you say I'm it's unethical, sure. we won't be able to go to Vegas anymore. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, looking forward to it and we'll chat next week. Sounds good. 
Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.